Few people will ever forget the shocking video sent around the world on September 11, 2001. Images of the planes crashing into the World Trade Center, massive flames, columns of smoke, people running away covered in ash, and the collapse of the Twin Towers are all a part of our collective memory. But there are other pictures from that day that will never be seen again. Welcome to Reporting on 9-11, where we hear the emotional, true stories of journalists who brought us news from the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, two decades ago. I'm your host, David DeRoche. In this episode, we hear from former network news producer Lee Camlet. His day on September 11th, 2001 began, like most others, with an early morning train ride into New York City, where he worked behind the scenes on the magazine show Dateline NBC. I distinctly remember walking from Grand Central to Rockefeller Center, where NBC is headquartered, and looking up at the sky and thinking, wow, what a beautiful day this is. The sky was crystal clear and deep blue. And I don't know why that stuck in my head, but I remember thinking that. Anyway, NBC had a fitness center in Rockefeller Center, so I would go early and work out in the gym and then go down and start my work. And I was on one of the cross trainers and watching the Today Show when there were those first reports that something has happened at the World Trade Center. We want to go live right now and show you a picture of the World Trade Center. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just a few moments ago, apparently. We have very little information available at this point in time. But on the phone, we do have Jennifer I remember I was next to the budget manager for Dateline, and we both looked at each other and you know, ran to shower off and get downstairs to where the Dateline offices were. And by the time we had gotten downstairs, the second plane had already hit the building, the second building. We knew right away this was something extraordinary. Lee quickly joined a meeting of NBC producers, correspondents, anchors, and editors. Their first mission was figuring out how to get video from Ground Zero and then how to get it back to 30 Rock. A bunch of us decided what we would do is run over to Fifth Avenue where the big camera shop, The Wiz, was located and buy every camera and piece of tape and battery and charger and anything we could get our hands on. And it looked like we had sacked the place. The cases were all open and salespeople were writing up sales as fast as we could do it. And the idea was we would walk downtown all the way down to the Trade Center and see how far we could get. I think the the thinking was, we're going to go see what we can see, what we can report on, what we can capture, and then we'll figure out how to make a story out of it. That's what you do. In a breaking news story, you go and see what you can find. And that was the thinking. And we did not get very far before we decided this was a fool's mission. And we went back to Rock Center. Once he was back inside, Lee's assignment was to watch all the video coming in from reporters and photographers who did make it back from Ground Zero, including some of the first images eventually sent around the world. I pretty much spent the rest of the day and the night taking in video feeds and cutting video and just seeing amazing video, raw feed of what we all have seen since, of buildings collapsing and people struggling to 
make it out of the area. Firefighters and police officers just covered and caked in dust, trying to breathe. People running for their lives. But he also saw images the network decided the public should never see. A decision was made immediately that we would not show pictures of any people falling out of the building, which I saw, but we did not put on the air. That was not my decision. That was a decision from NBC Standards and Practices. And they made that decision almost immediately. And as far as I know, the other networks followed the same path. I don't know of any other network that showed those pictures. And I just assumed that their thinking was it was just too shocking for somebody to see. It certainly was shocking to me. And it's an interesting ethical and journalistic debate because it was part of the story. It actually did happen. There is video evidence of it happening. Are you protecting the audience by not showing those pictures, even though they could read in the newspapers that those things were happening and did happen. And it's an interesting debate. Uh, And you can make those arguments on both sides of the equation. That decision had a huge impact on how people around the world saw and remembered that day. That's because in 2001, phones didn't have cameras. And social media, as we know it today, it didn't exist. The networks and their anchors, correspondents, and producers still acted as the gatekeepers of the information people saw and heard. And I think a lot about what would happen if social media existed then as it does now. There's obviously no filter on what goes on, as we know, on social media. And those kinds of pictures would have been on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and all the other outlets immediately. So people would have seen what at the moment was decided we would not let them see. I shudder to think what the impact would have been if they had existed then, because the information overload would have been immediate and massive and could have sent the story in untold numbers of directions. But even though the video of people jumping from the towers was deemed too upsetting for viewers, Lee and his co-workers still had to see those pictures over and over again as they worked to delete them from NBC's coverage. It could not have been an easy job. But Lee says it's what he and others signed up to do. As a journalist, you sometimes put up this shield that prevents you from getting emotionally involved in a story in hopes that you will be as objective as you possibly can. And so you go to murder scenes, you go to natural disasters, you can name any number of impactful stories because you're there as an observer and you're there as a trained observer. And if you let that emotion become part of your mode of operating, it changes the way I think you cover a story. And so it's not that journalists are callous. It's that their job is not the same as somebody else just standing on the corner seeing something unfold. But that doesn't mean journalists aren't affected by what they see and hear. 
For Lee, some of the most lasting changes started happening on his way home. The other thing that sticks out of my mind after that first day was eventually going home, going to Grand Central, and walking across Fifth Avenue, which is one of the busiest streets in Manhattan, and standing in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not seeing a single car or a single person it was a ghost town and how quiet it was because, you know, you go down to Manhattan now and you hear horns honking and trucks and buses and sirens and everything else. It was absolutely still. And then finally getting on the train to go home after I don't know how many hours and being suspicious of everybody who was on the train. It was so eerie and everybody else was looking around trying to think is it safe to be on this train? It certainly stayed with me like that for a long time. And I would be extremely nervous in walking into Grand Central. Because frankly, I thought, if you want to bring New York City to its knees, Grand Central is a place you might think about doing that. And I'd be very nervous from the time I entered until the time the train left, I would be very nervous. And I, I've talked to other people who felt the same. And, and you know, I remember talking to my children, because we lived in Westchester County, talking to them about how this is a life-changing event. This is, for us, what Pearl Harbor was to my parents. And as we know, the world has moved on, but not in the same way as it was prior to 9-11. Lee Camlet stayed with Dateline NBC until 2008. He then moved to ABC News, where he worked as a head writer for World News Tonight, before becoming dean of the School of Communications at Quinnipiac University. He's now retired and living in Connecticut. Thank you for listening to Reporting on 9-11. This episode was reported, written, edited, and produced by Ben Bogardis, a journalism professor at Quinnipiac University, and hosted by me, David DeRoche. I'm the Director of Community Programming for the University. Special thanks for this episode go out to Lee Camlet, the Liebner Cooper Foundation, and Broadcast Education Association for helping fund this series, Quinnipiac University's School of Communications, and the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio where this episode was recorded. For more stories from journalists who covered 9-11, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out other shows produced out of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio by going to quinnipiacpodcasts.com.